tested, then trusted. The pathway to promotion. See, I believe that something's going on at the moment now where people will be promoted in the future. Spiritually, I mean. Into the more. I believe that the season we're in now is a precursor to promotion. It's a pathway to promotion. And it's a difficult pathway. I think about the fact that God tests his people. I really feel that God is testing many of his people in the season. Deuteronomy 8.2 says, You shall remember all the ways in which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years, that he might humble you, testing you, to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So God does that, doesn't he? He puts his people in a difficult place, he tests them, he brings them face to face with their own character, and he deals with them in the desert. Proverbs 17.3 says, The refining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. Psalm 139.23 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Have you ever been there? Where situations make you anxious? I don't even need to be prophetic to know this is the truth. Because I've experienced it. When situations overwhelm you, anxiety comes in. But the Lord is the one who wants to do surgery in those moments. He wants to deal with your heart. He wants to sort out the challenges of your heart and reshape your life. These are not final moments. These are parts of the journey towards promotion. Job 23.10 says, But he knows the way I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. See, God is testing his people, he's trying his people. 1 Corinthians 10, it uses the word parasmos, which is this idea of trial or testing, and mirrors the Old Testament account of God's people going through the wilderness and eventually coming into the promised land. And Paul writes to the Corinthians and says, you're going to come through this. There's a way of escape, an ekbasis, a way of escape into your future. God doesn't test people beyond that which they can endure, but God does test people. God does test character, he tests stickability. And this is why I've got the imagery of the Star Wars films on the board. We have uh, the mentor and the mentee, the trainer, the trainee, the Jedi and the Padawan, Qui-Gon Jinn and Obi-Wan, and he's passing on his lightsaber to his trainee. This is very similar backdrop to the story I'm about to read in 2 Kings 2. And this is the scripture the Lord laid on my heart. That Elijah, like Qui-Gon Jinn, is training Elisha, like Obi-Wan, and he's about to pass on his lightsaber. It's a terrible parallel, I know, but it worked for me when I typed it. 2 Kings 2, 1 to 15. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way to Gilgal way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, do you know that your Lord is going to be taken away from your master today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, to be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, as sure as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied, so be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, stay here, the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. And he replied, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. 
50 men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, tell me what I can do before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You've asked a difficult thing, Elijah said, yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it'll be yours. Otherwise, it will not. As they were walking along and walking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and of horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father, the chariots of, of, and horsemen of Israel. It's terrible when you know loads of translations. You start finishing the sentence off before you realize you're reading a different translation. <laughs> and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. Elisha then picked up Elijah's cloak that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. He took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah, he asked. When, the, when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left, and he crossed over. Church, you may not remember, but the first message I preached at the start of this year, which I believe to be prophetic, was that 2022 would be the year of crossing over. Moses did not cross over, but the people did. A promised land experience remains for the people of God in this nation and the nations, but there are many who will not cross over. I was preaching at Hollybush a few weeks back, and as a preacher, you say throwaway comments with a pro- prophetic edge. You, throw, you say things that carry a weight, and you don't know that they carry a weight. So if I ever say anything and you think I'm being personal to you, it's sometimes I'm being prophetic, sometimes it's just a brain burp. Most of the time, though, I speak out what God is giving me. I try to be, the Bible says anyone who speaks must speak as the very mouthpiece of God. I try to say what God is saying. And I was at Hollybush a few weeks back, and I was preaching, and I said, in this season, this COVID landscape, the tree is being shaken. And I said, and people are being shaken, and people are being stressed by the season, and some people are falling out the tree, and God is seeing what will remain. There's a scriptural backdrop to that, which says that God will once more shake the heavens and the earth, so that what remains will be clearly founded on him as the inference. This service, I preached this, at the end of the service, after all the ministry that went on, when everything had cleared up and we'd had about an hour and a quarter extra where the people of God had stayed in the presence of the Lord, a young man came over to me. I'd never met him before. And I think I'm quite tactile. I'm a hugger. Uh, this, this kid was really a hugger. I'd never met him in my life before. He came over to me, virtually did this around me. <laughs> it's honestly, it was like a, a bear. I was like, okay, uh, I feel loved, I think. He said, I'm a tree surgeon. When you said about the tree being shaken, we, we do that when we're cutting trees. And I know what it's like to cling onto the tree so you don't fall out. Can I encourage your church to cling onto the tree in this season? It might be a terrible metaphor, but the truth is there's a shaking experience going on globally in the church at the moment. It's not just local, it's global. And the Lord is, at the, is in the midst of this. The Lord is shaking and reshaping. This kind of shaking experience happens to Elijah and Elisha. By the way, this was Elijah's farewell tour. So like the last preaching crusade. Do you remember when Reinhard Bonnke finished preaching? He had a final tour of Africa, a final crusade where they set up and there was millions of people who saw this wonderful moment where the man of God did his last crusade. 
This was Elijah's, Elijah's farewell tour. And Elijah conducts a farewell tour amongst various Israelite prophetic groups with his protege, Elisha. The echo of succession with Moses and Joshua is found in this story. If you can think about it, a lot of the places that they journey through is the same pathway that Joshua takes. The place names are significant, and we're going to talk about them now. But also the observance of ministry fruit from the school of the prophets. They saw things that were going on. They were the uh, audience, if you like. But also the opposition of the community of the prophets is also key in this narrative. So 2 Kings 1-8 to pictures a repetition of the same theme. Stay here, the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. Stay here, the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. Stay here, the Lord has sent me on to Jordan. And Elisha, Elisha repeats the same thing. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Surely as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. As surely as the Lord lives and as you live, I will not leave you. Elisha is tenacious. Elisha clings to the tree and will not be shaken off. Can I just say that this is a test before the trust? This is a testing season before the trust. God always tests his people before he entrusts them with more. I also want you to notice that in verse 3, 5 and 7, the community of the prophets try to dissuade him from following Elijah. Stay here. Do you not know that your Lord is going to be taken away from you today? Yes, I know. Do you not know that your Lord is going to be taken away from you today? Yes, I know. Verse 5. And then fifty in verse 7, 50 men observe the man progressing through into promotion as the two of them crossed over onto dry ground in verse 8. Let's go through those names now as we see the journey of these meanderings where the Padawan is following the Jedi. Sorry, I did it again. Gilgal. What is Gilgal? What does it represent for you? What does it represent for me? Well, I thought about many occasions where Gilgal is mentioned in the scriptures. I could go off at all angles, but I think predominantly... The best way of pointing to Gilgal is in Joshua 5, verses 2 to 9, if you have your Bibles. Joshua 5, verses 2 to 9. In Joshua 5, verses 2 to 9, it says this, At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives. And this is brutal, by the way. This is 18 warning. (laughs) And circumcise the Israelites again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelites at Gibeath Heloth. Now, this is why he did it. All those who came out of Egypt, all the men of military age, died in the wilderness on the way after leaving Egypt. All the people that came out had been circumcised, but all the people born in the wilderness during the journey from Egypt had not. The Israelites had moved about in the wilderness 40 years until all the men who were of military age when they left Egypt had died, since they had not obeyed the Lord. For the Lord had sworn to them that they would not see the land he had solemnly promised their ancestors to give, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 7. So he raised up sons in their place. And these were the ones Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised because they've not been circumcised on the way. And after the whole nation had been circumcised, they remained where they were in the camp until they were healed. I I don't like meditating on that last phrase. I just did. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away 
the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. That phrase is really important to me. Today, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal to this day. I think this parallels Colossians 1, 13 and 14, that God has delivered the Christian from the domain of darkness and conveyed them into the kingdom of the son of his love. And in transferring us from our Egypt, out away from our Pharaoh rule, out from under Satan's authority into Christ's kingdom, the son of his love, we've come from a place where the reproach of Egypt has been cut off. But what does Gilgal mean? What does Gilgal mean in this picture? Forgive me if any of my reading of that was difficult or offensive. Gilgal is a place where the flesh is cut off. Gilgal is a place where the flesh is cut off. It's a place where consecration to God is established. It's a place where God dependence and God devotion is realised. Can I say these last few years through COVID has been a time for everyone to be tested in different ways where we have had to throw ourselves onto the Lord in more God dependence and God devotion than we've ever had. God has been testing the hearts of his people and seeing who will pass through Gilgal with him. He's been seeking a people who move away from their fleshly independence, which is the, the default of even believers. Believers can move into fleshly independence move away from fleshly independence and move towards total God dependence and God devotion. Now, it would be very easy at this point to consider others at this point. This is the danger when we read the Bible. We read the Bible for others. The Bible's meant to read us. The Bible's meant to test our hearts. The Bible's the mirror for us. James says, looking in the mirror of the Bible, we should look at ourselves and see where we measure up. Not where others in the congregation measure up, where we measure up. Is that right? The Bible is our mirror, according to James in his writing. It'd be very easy to consider others at this point, but, but how are you? How am I doing in the Gilgal part of our journey with the Lord? For we must all pass through Gilgal in one way or another to get to the place where God wants us to be more like Jesus. That's the ultimate goal of promotion, to look just like the Lord, to cut off the fleshly independence, to cut off the self-interested journeying of the Christian into being a completely God-devoted individual. This is the question you and I can only ask for ourselves. We can't ask it for others. Are you living independently from God in the week after a Sunday church experience? Or have you cultivated a God-dependence and God-devotion day in, day out? Now, I know we all have different time windows to be with the Lord, and I'm not putting any weights on you that Jesus would not put on you. But God calls each one of us in our own way to encounter the Lord in the week, as best you can, in the way that you can. And this is what I'm talking about, that only in God-dependence can we walk through this season that the church is in at the moment. You see, I believe that, and this is not going to land easily, I believe the Church of Jesus Christ will see worse days than we've had. I think the next 10 years are important for evangelization of the world, but I believe we'll go into tougher days. Just something I believe personally. I believe that the winter fuel crisis that made Martin, um, Money Martin, what's his name? Martin Lewis, should know that name. <laughs> made Martin Lewis feel sick. He, he, he is concerned about the projections for the winter fuel in this cost of living crisis. I'd say that's one facet of the many things that will put people under pressure in these days. I believe that whole, this is, I've said this to some people in the past and they look at me like I'm crazy. I believe whole sectors and industries will fail in the future. Something that the Lord has shown me. I believe, you can laugh at me if you want. 
I believe we're coming to a place where we will need one another more than we've ever needed one another before, not less. Even though we're disconnected by social media or whatever else we think is connection, God is going to have to form community for the survival of the church. I've not put any time window on that. It's just something I feel in the Lord. So I'm not going to start prophesying when that will be. One thing I do know is that we've got the ripples of another thing that is coming on the landscape beyond, I think, a sunshiny season and then a really dark season. That's what I feel in the Lord. I might be wrong, happy to be wrong. But it's important in this sunshiny season that I believe we'll walk into to give Jesus the central place in our lives again, to be strengthened by the Lord in this season. I want to say to you that the Storehouse Project will become more important to this church and to this area in the years than it ever has been in the future, in the past. The Storehouse Project will become central to one of our church ministries The only things that we will do in this church in this season is Sunday services, DC groups or small groups of a form, prayer and the Storehouse Project. Churches cannot do everything. Churches cannot reach and be like any other church. They can only be what they are locally. But I know in this season where even rich people or middle class people are in food banks trying to get food, we're going to have to need to get behind the Storehouse Project moving forward. Whatever shape that will become. Things are closing up for us in different ways in Wigan and the Storehouse team or be able to fill you in with that in their way, at their timing. But God is opening doors for us in West Lancashire and making things new. God is reassigning people. He's repositioning people. He's reshaping people. But the need to minister practically for the poverty of our nation and their nations will never change. Jesus even said it, the poor you will always have with you. And so we see a gospel opportunity in the storehouse And I've put it in my sermon to bring it front and centre because I told the Storehouse board that I would love for them to bring Storehouse front and centre in the church. To have a vision that is centralised where every one of us takes ownership in the way that we can. Giving, serving and praying. Three things. How can we give? How can we pray for them? How can we serve them and serve the Lord through them? Every one of us can do one or more of those things. And this will be repeated. You'll hear this again if you remain on the journey with Family Church, because I'm not just saying something that I feel will please people. I believe it is so important based on the scriptures. And I would ask you to prayerfully consider your involvement with the storehouse. I'll leave that team to tell you what they need in their time and when they can. But I I, am saying that from the front because it matters to me. And thank you to Nolan and the team for all they've done over the many years. John Leach, Julie Smith, and many others because you've had an impact but your impact will be greater in the years to come because the need will be greater if you don't believe me just pray on it (laughs) the lord will show you so in a time when the reason i mentioned the stories there is because i think times will get tougher in the future i don't need to leave depressed i believe i believe that the world is being shaken And God wants his people to be cut off from independence at the Gilgal experience, to being completely God-dependent and completely connected to that which matters to the Lord. Elijah and Elisha moved on from Gilgal to Bethel. Now, I preached on Bethel recently. Bethel is a place of God encounters in the darkest moments of his journey. And Bethel Bethel is that in in a nutshell, that Jacob is suffering He's alone, he's isolated, he's broken, he's uncomfortable, he's vulnerable. And then along comes the Lord and shows him that he's with him. He's with him. He's with him in the dark, he's with him in the shadows. And more than that, he promises him a bright future. 
In Genesis 28, verses 12 to 17, Genesis 28, verses 12 to 17, it says the following. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you'll spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. You see, the point of Bethel is sometimes we're not aware of where God is. And, and, and the reality is because God is omnipresent, things are always better than you see them. And, so, and, and situations always have more hope than you feel they do have. Because God's, God's resources are limitless. And God, and God is able to move within the mess. God is able to reshape destinies. In this text, God is reshaping the destiny of Jacob. God is reassigning him a mission. God is saying he's going to be present with him. And in, in him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Many of us would not have chosen Jacob to serve the Lord. Many of us would have rejected him on, on basis of his morality, his integrity, on basis of his character. But the Lord saw something in Jacob. The Lord wanted to use Jacob and the Lord promised to do it. And you know, when God, like with Joseph, like with David, the little shepherd boy, even with our Lord Jesus, when he was rejected, who God chooses is whom God chooses. And there's nothing that we can do to stop the purposes of God. This encounter with the Lord changed Jacob's life. He said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he put a stone and poured oil on it, made the place a sacred place. You know, when you go through your Bethel experience in the season, I hope you've pressed into God and encountered the Lord in worship. Or however you do that, you'll have moments where you write things in your Bible. Or you'll have moments where you're in a service where you encounter the Lord. Don't just have that as an experience. Write it down. Write how it changed you. Write what the Lord said to you. Write what the Lord promised you for your future. And don't let go of what multiple people say to you who don't know you and converge in on the same thing. When I was at the Ilham Ministers Conference, I can't share with you what was said to me, but multiple national and regional level leaders and some actual people who were prophets in the church came and said the same word to me. The same word. It was so encouraging in that season in my life. It was so encouraging to hear the voice of the Lord through different people. And so when, when, you, when you're going through life, don't just take the Lord's word lightly in the scriptures. If it burns in you, write it down. Put it on a post-it on your fridge. Make sure you cling to the promises of God in this season. You see, this encounter with God changed Jacob's life and trajectory. Some people who are vulnerable today in this church and in a dark place at the moment will soon have a God encounter. I really believe that. And it will change the course of their life. They'll move from feeling vulnerable to feeling protected. They'll move from feeling alone to feeling secure and connected. They'll move from feeling hopeless to feeling hope-filled. They'll move from a dream to a destiny, which was Jacob's journey. God has put dreams in people's hearts. Don't abandon your dreams. This is what the Lord can do. He turns the shadows into sunlight and can make all things new. So hang in there. Gilgal cuts off the flesh and makes us dependent on God. Bethel is a place of God encounters that redirects and establishes our lives 
But what about Jericho? The best example of Jericho, of course, is found in Joshua 5, verses 13 to 6, verse 5. Let me read it to you. The fall of Jericho, it's called. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Neither. I love this bit. Neither, he replied. But as commander of the armies of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And so Joshua did. Chapter six. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in and no one came out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I've delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a shout and the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Of course, after that, you see the wonderful... A passage about Rahab being delivered. What, what a strange thing that God would help a prostitute escape. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful story of rescue, compassion and grace. Can I say to you that Jericho means sweet fragrance. Sweet fragrance. It's a place where everything falls down. Think about it for yourself. You'll have had Jericho moments, some of you. This will go right into someone's heart and I hope it's not too heavy to carry it this season. It's a place where everything falls down around you. Now think about your journey. Because I'm paralleling the walk with Elisha and Elijah with our walk with the Lord. Do you not notice that in this story, I'll just take a step from my notes and say that Elijah did not die. Elijah ascended to heaven. Elijah wanted his Padawan, his trainee, his mentee, to see him ascended. Elisha took the power that came down from the one who was ascended and continued the ministry of that individual. Is there anyone in the Bible that we can see that this parallels? I know I'm stating the obvious to me, but this is rather like the ascension of our Lord into his glory and the outpouring of the spirit, the mantle of his power on the church to continue the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth. This is what this parallels. And this is why this is important for you as a believer because it might just seem like a random Old Testament passage or even a nice or or an interesting Old Testament passage. But the walk with Elisha and Elijah parallels your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will all have had your Gilgals moments where the Lord deals with your flesh. If you've walked with Jesus for you will all have had your Bethels, your God encounters, the moments when they're dark, but the Lord comes in and gives you his word and says, I'm with you. And some of you, some of you will have had this experience in this room under the sound of my voice. Some of you will have had a Jericho moment. Some of you will have had this deepest of tests, this deepest of trials where everything falls around you in your life and you feel like there's a life filled with rubble. Everything exposed. These Jericho moments are moments where we realize 
that our agenda is distinct from God's agenda, that our plan is different to his plan, that our ways are not his ways, that the Lord sees the big tapestry from ages past to ages future, that the Lord sees us on the landscape of time and the Lord will do what the Lord will do. He is God. We're humbled in these moments. We're brought to dust and ashes and the Lord would show us that his plan is the only plan that matters. Whose side are you on, Lord? Are you on my side? Are you on their side? Show show me that you're with me, Lord. Actually, I'm, I'm not. I've got a different agenda here. I've got a plan. I'm God. Do you want to hear my plan? Here's my plan. And this one will work. I think many of us were wanting to say, I've got like a, ge- like a genie in my pocket. Lord, look, the Lord's with me. Lord, the, the Lord's on team Steve. Or the Lord's on team John. No, no. The Lord is the Lord and we are on his team and we follow him. He doesn't follow us. And I, I know this is obvious, but so often we can be self-righteously assuming that we are right and others are wrong. And the reality is, God sees everything, God knows everything, and he will, if not now, in the future, cut through everything with his pure eyes, for he knows the end from the beginning, sees all things. I see this in the conversation, are you on our side or the Lord's side? I'm trying to be expository here. You see, it's only when our plans fall, and that's what's going on for Joshua, that further dependence with God is cultivated. I think the man, when he bows on his knees and realizes it's holy ground, says, now, Lord, which way? What, what? I'm humbled. Okay, you, you've got me here. I thought you were on our team. What, what now, Lord? Which way? And that's what Jericho does. It makes us dependent on God again. It's, a, it's an extension of Gilgal. It's a deeper test. It's a deeper trial. God is actually shaping us, training us for reigning. This is a pathway to promotion. God is actually, some preachers have heard say, God is actually killing us to raise us again. Paul says that the life of Christ might be manifest through me. I'm always being given over to death. And again and again, the further you go on with the Lord, the more things come at you to kill you. Sometimes it's hard to know whether it's Satan or or God. I know it sounds ridiculous, but some of you might understand this. But all the time, whoever is the source of it, God is at work in you to will and do for his good pleasure. He's making all things new. He's actually seeking to make you like Jesus. And the only way to bring the image of Jesus through his people is to allow them to be crucified with Christ, to be dead to themselves and alive in Christ to God. See, I think Jericho speaks of bigger tests beyond the cutting off of independence of Gilgal, beyond the isolation and hopelessness of Bethel into the complete destruction of Jericho where only a few and surprising things remain. At the end of a Jericho moment, you're wondering why the Rahab was left. Why, why Lord, why, Lord, did you take person this way and take person that way, and why have I just got Rahab in my hands? What are you, what are you doing here, Lord? Why, why have I got a Rahab? I would prefer to have a noble person from the city. Are you hearing my parallels? Sometimes the Lord allows stuff which we cannot understand. God's ways are not our ways, neither his thoughts, our thoughts. And we just need to be humbled in these moments to realise the Lord is on the throne. It's only when everything around us collapses that we find out who we are. This place can become a place of sweet fragrance, which of course is the name of Jericho, when heaven's agenda becomes our agenda, when we posture ourselves in holy submission. Jericho kills people. But some come out alive and with a new and humble perspective that sees reality 
through God's eyes. I remember when I went through a challenging season once, maybe 20, 25 years ago. David Elms said to me, you'll be a deeper person now, Steve. Maybe you've been through challenging experiences that have made you a deeper person. It's what um, Richard Foster, the great writer on spirituality of Christian, writes. He says, it's when God cuts through the surface slush, which represents most of Christianity, and shows you what the real things are that are important. He makes the main thing the main thing. And quoting St. John of the Cross and the dark night of the soul writings of St. John of the Cross, he says, Christians are taken through these times of darkness to show them what's really important. Rich, if you've not read anything by Richard Foster, you really do need to read that. This is the sweet fragrance of Jericho. Heaven invades earth and the eternal replaces the temporal in our thinking. God was at work even in the mess. People are promoted if they pass through this place on the journey and refuse to leave the Lord's side. You see, tests can be so severe that some people don't survive them. Some people just tell God where to go and go and live in a lodge somewhere. I want to encourage you, if you are in a test that is really, really severe, don't give up on Jesus. He's the only lifeline you really have. He's the only stabilizing force that will be consistent for the rest of your days. He's the only one that will stay the journey with you and never fail you, never leave you, never forsake you. That's our Jesus. He is good all the time. He is kind all the time. He is faithful all the time. And we always have Jesus with us, available to us every day. He's only a prayer away. I hope that ministers to someone's hurt. There's someone really hurting now as I'm preaching. I just want to close with one other observation that I saw before we journey to next week. Next week I'll be talking about crossing over into power. Remember we're talking about the parallels between Elijah and Elisha mantle of power fell for Elisha the mantle of Christ's power fell for us and I want to talk about how the Christian can enter into a powerful experience in the Holy Spirit through teaching this next week, second passage the other thing I saw when I was reading through the story about Elijah and Elisha and the journeyings before Elijah ascended is the opposition and the observation which are pathways to promotion it's alright it's a nice tune I said earlier that the the place names on this journey are significant, but I want to briefly state that the prophetic school's observance of Elijah's ministry fruit, alongside opposition of Elisha from that same community, is also key. The Israelite prophetic community will have known Elijah's charismatic anointing, and maybe, we only suppose, it's a supposition this, maybe they were jealous of Elisha's privilege of being Elijah's protégé. Regrettably, jealousy, think of Joseph in his pit with his brothers, can lead people of the same community to persecute or attack God's chosen. 2 Kings 2, 3 and 5. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and said, Do you not know that the Lord is taking you out from your master today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied, so be quiet. The company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you not know that your Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know. He replied, so be quiet. There's a sense here of let's see what you will do. Let's see how well you'll do on your own. How well will you survive without Elijah, Elisha? The inference is that you are only as good as your master and not the same substance of him. I've heard people say to me, Franklin is not Billy. Have you ever heard anyone say that? 
He's, we love Franklin, but he's not Billy. We're talking about Billy Graham and Franklin Graham. I think we need to see people as individuals. I remember when Mark Pugh went to join his church. Somebody said to him in Derby, this was a long time ago. He's now leading a massive church in Exeter. Great, great young leader in Elim. said, oh, you've got big shoes to fill. And Mark said something very witty and wise in the moment. He said, it's okay, I've brought my own. And I think this is how the church needs to be gracious to one another, that God uses individuals, not clones. There's no... People are similar, but everyone is unique. When they're saying to you, your master's going, let's see how good you are now without Elijah, which is what I read into the text. God's clever here. He allows the school of the prophets to observe a miracle which Elisha will later repeat. Think of 2 Kings 2, 7 to 8, and 2 Kings 2, 13 to 14. Elijah does the miracle of crossing over with the mantle. Elisha does the miracle. Now, this is key, that the school of the prophets observe the man of God doing the same thing, because now they're no longer saying, you have an anointing, your master has an anointing, but you're just his tag-along. They're now seeing that the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. It's always ministry fruit that should speak louder than a person's words. It's always ministry fruit that should speak louder than a person's words. Has God been with them or not, would be my question. Does God use them or not? There are far too many showmen and smooth-tongued Christian leaders at the moment whom God is dealing with and exposing publicly. How many of those leaders have seen the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, demons cast out and people say, because that's the type of ministry that looks like Jesus Christ. And that, in truth, church, is what leaders should be raising up in others because God is wanting to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. There are also these anointed people that move like Jesus, cast out demons, heal the sick, blind, deaf, lame, and so on. They're also the most exposed. Human rhetoric and slickness from those without this power is inadequate in this season. I've said this before from the platform. God is exposing this and removing those who cannot back up their words with power and obedience. Did you notice Paul the Apostle? By the way, notice I said power and obedience. It's not just power, it's obedience to the truth. You can have power without obedience. Did you notice the Apostle Paul challenges false believers, false teachers in the Corinthian community by this one question? Let me see what kind of power they have. Did you notice that in the scriptures? His one measure of authentic ministry amongst false teachers was do they have an anointing from God? And this is the very thing that qualifies someone for ministry. Think about Gideon. Gideon was qualified for leadership because the Spirit of God was on him. The Spirit of God came upon Gideon. He blew the trumpet, subbed the Abiezrites, and they followed him. The anointing is a seal and sign of God choosing someone. I believe the church globally, and this is a global point, is changing because God wants disciples and not groupies. God wants disciples and not groupies. God wants not a crowd, not a cinema, but a gym situation in the church that goes out like a military base to do damage to the enemy in the week. Soon we'll be teaching on frontline again on the online church. Frontline ministry, 24-7 Christianity, is the only type of Christianity that exists. And, and, and this type of church should be a sending institution where people look like Jesus wherever they go, in character and in power. Now, some of you might say, we all have different gifts, Stephen. But the Bible says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Why does it say eagerly desire spiritual gifts? Because God wants you looking just like Jesus. 
God wants you carrying the same anointing. God wants you living in the same holiness and power. This is not Steve's doctrine. This is a Bible truth. Look at John 14 as an example, 12 through to 14. God wants you looking just like Jesus, Romans 8, 28 and 29, to conform you to the likeness of God's son so that he might be the firstborn amongst many brothers and sisters. Getting to the end. Many people have been exposed in this season as only the Lord and the peop- only as people who know God and only the people who know him will survive the storms of our time. I believe the Lord is sparing none in this season, but those who lead in a place of intimacy. A person's gift makes room for them, the Bible says, in God's economy. If, not, if anointing is on a life, it means that a person is chosen by God for specific purposes. The problem with anointing, I think of Joseph in the Old Testament, of David and Jesus as an example, you fill in the blank, so many people in the Bible with this, is that anointing attracts attacks and rejection from the same community because it exposes where people are deficient and jealousy ensues. Another problem with anointing is that God chooses people who you would not. He chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise and the strong. Jesus was rejected by society, by political and military power, by his family, by the religious community around him. Maybe rejection is the the norm for the anointing. Still, rejection like this can mean that God is leading someone to promotion. In Matthew 21, Jesus talks about the parable of the vine dressers where he uses the idea of the prophets being rejected and then the son being rejected. And he says this in Matthew 21 about himself, and this is true of anointed people too. Jesus said to him, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvellous in our eyes. Rejection in God's economy always leads to promotion. It's a pathway to promotion. Rejection that Elisha felt with the school of the prophets ended up with him being promoted in their eyes. Rejection is part of the test. Men and women of God are rejected to cultivate further dependence on God. They live for an audience of one and need to keep their eyes on the Lord at all times. Now, this is what we'll look at next week, this idea of keeping our eyes on the Lord at all times. And so that whatever you think about what's going on in your own life, whatever you think about those in your own life, As I said, the Lord is the stabilizing force over your life. And when we look to the Lord, remember Elisha says, if you see me when I'm taken from you, you'll receive the anointing. If we keep our eyes on the Lord, we will cross over into power. I knew this would be a long one, perhaps longer than I even thought this would be. But actually, that was laying the ground's foundation for why Elisha moved into anointing. He stayed with Elijah. For years before, he was washing the hands of Elijah He was doing things in the secret place and then in his time, in his due time, the Lord anointed him and promoted him. Amen. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to look like Jesus in character and power. Lord, we want to grow in power, but we also want to grow in character. Thank you, Lord, that you work with all of us, in all of us, to will and do for your good pleasure. Help us be responsible for our own life as a priority. Lord, and to serve you with our eyes on you. One day, Lord, every man, woman and child will give an account to God for their lives, for the deeds done in the flesh. And Lord, we pray that when that day happens, everyone in this room would be able to stand in joy knowing they lived a full life for the glory of God. Amen.